everything's bigger in Texas, including climate change. That's why Houston is leading the energy transition. Here in H-Town, the fourth largest city in the United States, entrepreneurs from across Texas and around the world are gathering to work with titans of industry to build the technology that will reduce emissions and power a low carbon future. We sit down with those change makers and wildcatters who are solving the toughest energy challenges. With trillions of dollars on the line, we dig into how Houston will bring technology to market on a massive scale. Join us as we talk with the leaders of the energy capital of the world as they show us how the energy transition gets done. I'm Lara Cottingham, and this is the Energy Technology Podcast. And I'm Jason Etier. Let's jump in. Hello. Uh, we're super happy to today have Grace Chan. Uh, she's a venture principal for New Markets at BP Ventures. Grace focuses on venturing discovery and deal delivery in support of clean tech market entry offers in China, elsewhere in Asia Pacific and India, as well as technology-led ventures in service of one or more of BP's transition growth engines. Uh, so Grace, again, super happy to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about um, what it means to be working in one or more of BP's transition growth engines. Sure. And how you ended up here in Houston today. Sure. Thank you, Laura and Jason, for having mm -hmm. me. Um, so I'm a transplant to Houston. I interned in Houston 15 years ago with Shao, actually, mm. and I never looked back. It's a wonderful city for young professionals. Um, at that time, I came here to work in oil and gas, obviously. So that's it took my career for 12 years. I worked in traditional oil and gas, onshore, offshore. Uh, in the last two years, I transitioned into BP Ventures Group. So now I'm a clean tech investor. And I see myself working on energy transition in Houston for the next 15, 20 years, if I'm lucky. Um, so for BP Ventures, we are a 16, 17-year-old fund. Um, we make investments in energy tech. And then that can be really, really broad because energy is really broad. Um, we have invested close to a billion dollars um, in all sorts of companies. So we have around 60 entities. We have some exits, uh, some M&A activities. Um, we actively manage most of our portfolio companies. Uh, we are active investors. We are series agnostic, but our sweet spot is series A, series B. Um, average check size is around five to 10 to 15. The check sizes have been getting bigger and bigger, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but recently the valuation has come down a bit for early stage companies. So it's um, getting more manageable again. Um, in our geography, we have a team of 14, 15 people located around the world, and that's reflected in our portfolio companies too. We have companies in the US, UK, Finland, India, China. So it's really quite exciting. We get to work on um, innovation projects around the world. Good. And, and how did you make that leap from oil and gas professional to venture investor? Yeah, sure. <laughs> what, 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 was it just an option that was open or did you have to like back into it? Um, so I, I have a finance background. Okay. So even from day one, I was running economics for drilling programs mm -hmm. in Wamsutter, East Texas. Um, and then I got into looking at valuation for um, purchasing and selling oil and gas fields. So that's why I discovered I really, really like making deals. Mm -hmm. um, and I also really love technology. So even sitting my old um, upstream roles, I try to bring in startups that have technology that can make the operations more efficient. And so venturing really is a marry of two. I love technology. I love making deals. And in venturing, it's a perfect um, place for my skills and passion. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about some of your companies that you're working with 
if it's here or if it's, if it's in Finland or India. <laughs> I know you can't have favorites, right? But can you talk just about some of them? Sure. So in new markets, we actually have three portfolio companies that my manager and I look after. Um, there's a portfolio company called Blue Smart in India. It's our first entry into India. And they use solely electric vehicles for mm. what they call four wheels. Because in India, you have two wheel, three wheel. So it's all four wheels. You can call it the Uber of India, but all using EVs. And so that's an exciting company. And we have two portfolio companies in China. Um, one actually just opened a U.S. location in Sugarland. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that company is called RMB Technology. They do use AI-based technology to help manage energy efficiency, um, efficiencies for buildings, for stadiums. They've been signing a lot of stadiums recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and their office is in Sugarland, and they will participate in the Rice Energy Alliance um, event later in September. So that's a great landing point for many of our portfolio companies. Houston is, that's what I mean. Yeah. And, and are you looking for like a strategic alignment with BP or is it is it really just about investments? So we are not a pure financial VC. So we're definitely look for the strategic angle. Um, when I first joined the team, one of the first investments I worked on is geothermal, mm. a Canadian company called Ever. Um, what I think the beauty of that is if the technology works in the future, uh, it could be a brand new business unit for BP. Mm-hmm. So as a strategic investor, we just we don't look for financial returns by itself. We really look for strategic alignment with our mothership. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, a company needs to have the baseline performance as a financial company. If you cannot return financial value, um, a bankrupt company returns zero strategic mm-hmm. value. So that's a baseline you look for. Yeah. Is, is there a certain maturity you look for where you, you get excited about a deal because uh, i think you said earlier you do uh five million to 15 million dollar checks series a is really an effective place what what flips over for a company where you say it's no longer a seed investment it is a series a kind of investment um so i think we look for pilots that mm-hmm. they have uh, done or products that we could deploy or do a partnership and test it out um the reason why i say early stages it's for two reasons. One, um, the valuation is more palatable. You mm-hmm. can actually be more effective with your checks. You can write more checks. And two, when it's early enough, you can actually have a chance as an investor. You can take board seats and you can influence the product roadmap. So a lot of times we are a captive customer for the company. Mm. So by providing real-time feedback as a customer, you can actually um, help shape the product in the future. Mm-hmm. So that's why the earlier stage is better for us. So tell us about your new role. Oh, thanks. Yes. <laughs> and congratulations. Congrats. Thank you, Laura. Um, so Laura, I have to go back to my background a little bit. I was born in China. I moved to United States at age 13. Um, so as a child, I actually really had really bad allergy because the pollution is super bad in China. But when I moved to United States, my allergy was magically cured. I didn't have to take any medicine. It's because the air quality is much better here. Um, so let I me mean, fast forward to my new role. I really felt hard to work for this amazing woman named Sophia Nader. She's based out of the UK and she's originally from Trinidad and was qualified as a lawyer or they call it solicitor in London, um, ran her own business, exited. She mm-hmm. doesn't need to work, but she's working on energy transition because that's her passion. Mm-hmm. So she and I were look after new markets in India, in China, Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand, you name it. Um, these countries are fast electrifying. Mm-hmm. And how do we do it in the right way? 
how how do we do the the just energy transition for everyone? That's really important to us. Um, so and then um, to bring back to the point, even as a child, I remember um, riding the three wheels in China, and it's loud. It smells terrible. But these ones in India right now are electric. You have a, we have a chance as investors to go in, accelerate the transition, mm -hmm. and making sure it's done the right way. Um, for example, in China, they electrify quickly, but now they have a problem with the battery recycling on the back end. Mm -hmm. So as investors, now we're seeing like it's not only important to invest in the EV and the batteries, but also in the recycling technology for these batteries. So we can think about these problems and avoid the big, bigger problems on the road. Um, I love that. And again, congratulations. But I love that story about, you know, um, following your passion about your new boss following her passion, <laughs> right? And and all of that's about climate and about um, mm -hmm. pushing forward the energy transition on a global scale. So another question, you mentioned earlier um, energy tech. Uh, I like to talk about climate tech. People say clean tech, but you also work for BP. So mm -hmm. what is it like in this world, in this day and age, having this passion for pushing forward an energy transition, but I'm sure you get people like asking what does that really mean? And how is that possible? And how can one of the oldest oil and gas companies that is now an energy company, mm -hmm. right? How can they be moving into this space? Okay. I think a lot of people look at um, oil and gas company as the incumbents and they don't see us as a natural fit, but I disagree. We actually are really good partners for anybody on the journey for energy transition. Um, I think think of at least three reasons. So for me, Energy companies were full of um, really, really gritty engineers mm -hmm. and problem solvers. Um, you know, the ups and downs of the energy um, bust and boom. People who haven't left this energy, uh, energy industry were really, really gritty and we're here to solve problems. And then climate tech, it's a really, really hard problem to tackle. So it's all about the people. And two, we have really steep ex expertise in global projects, um, project management, and some of these um, for hydrogen, for geothermal, these are equally capital intensive, humongous projects to undertake. So who better than these like gritty engineers from oil and gas mm -hmm. industry with those transferable skills that can be applied to these big projects that can really have scale and make a dent in the problem. Um, and lastly, I mentioned it's capital intensive. Um, you, you can, investing software may not take that much to exit, maybe three to five, five to seven years, you can see an exit. But we know these projects, oftentimes you don't make a single dollar in revenue until that first commercial plant mm -hmm. is built. Mm -hmm. So we are very patient capital and we work with the companies. We help them do follow-on raises. We help them raise money for their first commercial plan. We help bring customers, partners, and that's the, the value of an incumbent that turned energy investor. And like I mentioned, we've been doing this for a really long time. Yeah, and that's something I really appreciate. Did not appreciate about the energy industry until I moved here. How you you have these these people who think about portfolios of energy projects that they need to develop, which means reduce the risks, find the energy, find a customer, and package it together, and then prepare it so it can be bought and operated by another company or by a private equity firm. And when you and yeah. when you do that, you create so much value but you also create really low cost energy. Um, and it's it's an amazing yes. skill set that that was probably missing in what we call climate tech 1.0, mm. which happened 15, 20 plus years ago. 
now that it's, it's you know, Houston is is taking a leadership position in the energy transition, all those skills around managing projects are being brought to bear in a way that that they couldn't have before. Absolutely. So I'm really, I'm, I'm excited for that, that intangible, and, and it's not necessarily about technology, but it's going to make the technology deployable. Yeah. Right? And then everyone has a role to play. Um, so with the energy boom brought a lot of engineers here, but you also have finance people, mm-hmm. you have supply chain professionals, and then the, some of these key skills you mentioned, it takes everyone to work together as a team to package the products together. Mm-hmm. Um, we call these folks like structure. They structure a deal. They bring everything mm-hmm. together, put it into a package deal. Um, it's when your cost is really, really good that you can scale naturally without the um, incentives that are needed for the government. Mm-hmm. 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 I like it. Um, and I... I have always been impressed by BP every time I've worked with them that in 2019, 2020, when I was working on the climate action plan for the city of Houston, BP at that time was was one of the most critical stakeholders. And they had a lot of questions and they were just um, saying, what does this mean for our organization? And then, you know, the pandemic starts and the world kind of changes. And then kind of reached back out and said, we are going through a reimagining mm-hmm. of our organization. And really, like, it is amazing how much in the world changed those few months, but how that whole um, idea of being an energy company, not just oil and gas, and working with cities and regions to find solutions and recognizing that it's not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, there's no cookie-cutter approach that different parts of the world have different energy needs and different energy usage, and how can we get them from point A to point B before we even knew what, what a cluster supply chain would be <laughs> and all of the things. And so um, that was really important to me because they were one of the first that reached out and said, like, we want to we want to help you. We don't see working on climate action as being counter to our efforts. And so it is exciting to me to see all of this. Also, cities need as much help as they can get. And mm-hmm. y'all are global and you do work with cities. And in many ways, Houston is more similar to places in um, – I talked with a great city in the Philippines that mm-hmm. had flooding and temperature issues mm-hmm. in the same way that we did that's different than talking to Austin, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And mm-hmm. Aberdeen – um, not the same climate as Houston for sure, but has that same kind of energy background and history and is doing a lot in hydrogen, is doing a lot in offshore wind. And so I think from y'all's perspective, there's a lot of really interesting things going on. Yeah. And so I, I guess, it, can you tell us a little bit about what the reimagining uh, of, sure. of BP is about? And uh, yeah, just make it digestible oh. for me because I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so BP, I think earlier you alluded to, we're all working towards like five energy transitional engines. So I'll talk a little bit about that. So they are um, bioenergy, EV charging, convenience, renewables, and then hydrogen. Mm-hmm. So we make investments um, that can support a, and accelerate um, our transition growth. And it's all about net zero by 2050. And how can we do it as a company? But then also, how do we help the world to also get to net zero 2050? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And one of the things you said there did not feel like it fit with the other. You said convenience. Mm-hmm. Tell me what that means. Okay. Yeah. Not so, the stores. <laughs> <laughs> Bucky's. Um, Is Bucky's in your future? I was thinking more I Aldi, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so believe it or not, BP actually manages many, many gas stations. Oh, yeah. So the convenience store attached to it 
But in the future, um, imagine it's not you're not going to go there to for gas, but you're going to go to fill up your EV. So mm. what other services um, could you be doing at the same time? And also charging up your EV because the time requirement may be different. Um, one of the example in convenience could be a, a an app that once you type in your uh, required location, your car, it will pop up all the EV charging stations and what's open nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, and then these cars are really becoming smart. And a potential investment for us could be the energy management app. Uh, the users on the other end could actually see how fast the energy is charging, what time mm-hmm. it will be done, so they can help plan their day. What can they be doing and maximize their time? So yeah. that's a convenience. Um, and we're seeing so many different technology to help the convenience part. For example, in China, once you park your car, there supposedly people are working on robots that can come to your car to help you charge your car. Mm-hmm. So that's a manual tax maybe you don't have to do in the future. Um, Laura, you mentioned each city requirements are different. So because of population density, how the city is set up, their natural resources they already have, and how, what to make the most of their infrastructure. These are customized solutions we need for each city. And that is so important when you talk about um, accessibility and affordability and equity and energy. And that mm-hmm. it's it's really easy to take that 50,000 foot view. But when you get down to the individual places, you realize some things are twice as hard and some yes. things are, are twice as easy. And you kind of just like got to roll with that and customize it. Yes. And it's exciting to hear that technology is moving in that way. Um, robots are, <laughs> are often good. Um, so what what do you see right now as the biggest roadblock? And then what is also the biggest best reason for like why is now the time for you and your job and mm-hmm. what you're seeing out in our future? Okay. So I guess I'll talk about a specific roadblock for some ideals, mm-hmm. and then I'll talk in general the roadblocks for get, getting deals done. So we have seen the valuation for early stages companies come down in general. The average has been down for 2Q this year. Hmm. However, mm-hmm. it hasn't translated to all the geographies. There are hmm. still some geographies that for the deals that we're chasing remains super hot and we're being priced out of the investments we really want to make. So that's one of the roadblocks that's very specific to a region. So number two, being a strategic company, I cannot just make investments in the companies that I really want. It has to have a strategic angle. So sometimes my hands are tied like, oh, I love this company. I think it's great, but it does not fit into the overall um, framework or strategy. And we cannot make the investment today. Um, And being a corporate what we have is a double-edged sword. It's so nice to have the backing and resources of a giant corporation, but at the same time, investment committees, and we have different approval layers that could take some time. But at the end, I think there's a lot of value in working with a corporate. Um, so most of the companies are willing to work with us on our timeline. What about, why is, why is now the time? What are you seeing mm-hmm. that is making you optimistic and hopeful? I think the time to inv- the best time to plant a tree is ten years ago, and then today. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we may be um, on a journey that people think are too late or too um, we're not doing enough. But just get to it. We can keep talking about how it's not enough, but each of us, like we can make choices mm-hmm. that can help accelerate the journey. Um, and I think my my kids, if I don't tackle the problems today, it's just gonna snowball and become a lot harder for the future generations to tackle. And 2050 is really not that far away. Mm-hmm. It won't, the problem won't be solved in my generation, 
but I actively talk to my kids. I take them to Greentown events, to the mm -hmm. Island Pitch events, to, just to show them this is something that they, they need to work on in the future. Um, and in our individual um, lives, there are choices we can make to help um, just do that little bit. Um, for example, Laura, you know I like to shop, but I made a pledge not to buy any more new items. So I wear what I already have. Mm -hmm. If I have the urge to try something new, I use Run the Runway. Mm. So that's something, a go. personal choice that we can all do. Mm. Um, well, you are doing a lot of other things. I know this. <laughs> you, um, I see you everywhere, and I don't go that many places, but that just means you're going so many places. And so if you find a company that you love mm -hmm. and it doesn't quite fit, right? For some reason, it's like a square peg and doesn't fit the BP hole. Uh, you are involved in a lot of other networks and, and the power of the network is huge, um, specifically around women mm -hmm. and VC and investing. So talk a little bit more about that because it is, um, I was shocked to learn myself about the the disparity about that there just aren't that many women investors mm -hmm. and there definitely aren't that many women entrepreneurs and founders and that the amount of money that goes to women founders is like tiny it's like two percent and it actually is going down mm -hmm. during the pandemic mm -hmm. and so what are you doing with folks in houston and probably everywhere <laughs> to help to help turn that around and to help uh reconnect women and make their companies and their technologies more successful. I'm super glad you asked me that. So two years ago, I just moved from traditional and gas into VC. I, by chance, I saw one of my friend posting about a group in Houston called Women in VC Houston. And I said to myself, wow, I must join that group. So there's a lady named Sandy Guitar. She's a mm -hmm. long-term VC investor, and she just took it upon herself to start this group. And now the group is growing, growing from 10 to 20 to 30 to 50. Uh, we have Thanksgiving get-togethers. We have impromptu lunches. We have happy hour. And we get together, we share deal flow. So we are talking about sometimes it may not be the best fit for me, but it could be another investor in a group. And these um, companies looking for investment, I think accessibility to investors, it's a block, roadblock for them. Mm -hmm. If they cannot even get in front of an investor, how do they they don't even get a chance to pitch. So just by opening doors, getting them a chance to, for them to be in front of investors sometimes makes the world a difference. Um, so for folks that's listening, um, if you wanna get involved in a group, um, Google Women in VC Houston, you can come to one of our future gatherings. I love it. And that it, well, so do you think that that access, right? That it is hard. Mm -hmm. um, is that unique to Houston? Is it different in Houston than it is other places? It's we're a newer, <laughs> we're like a newer market in a lot of ways than the Bay Area. But do you think that's something that's happening everywhere? I think it's a global problem. Mm -hmm. Some places even worse, some places better. Um, there are many different groups to get involved. I'm also part of All Race, mm -hmm. and they actually have a women associate cohort for you to join, women principal cohort, women partner cohort. Um, just to provide more tools to help you accelerate in your career. Um, as a woman, I'm sure the challenges I face um, is unique to a woman, but it's not unique to all the other women. They have gone through this. There are many trailblazers that have gone through this before. So there are a lot of collective wisdom and, and tools and techniques that we can all use um, that can be shared among the group. And actually, we have a lot of male allies as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and do you find 
uh, energy is, is also just generally male dominated. Uh, do you find that's changing with, with younger professionals coming into energy or into Houston? I think so. Yeah. I really see that. Um, it's very correct. It's male dominated. In fact, I'm the only women on the BP venture scene in Houston, mm. but globally we have more women. Um, but because I'm part of the team when we are recruiting, I actually recommend a lot of my female friends that I have at BP or externally to apply to the jobs. Um, again, just like getting investment, being an investor also it's about accessibility. If you mm -hmm. don't know the role is open, how mm -hmm. do they apply? Um, and then for women, I would say do not um, self-select out. Mm -hmm. um, it's so funny when I get uh, called, co call or like through an introduction for candidates I want to apply to the job. I always say the gentlemen are more confident in themselves, but for women, a lot of times they doubt themselves like, oh, do you think my qualifications are good enough for this job? In reality, Laura and Jason, they're often even overqualified. They have so many advanced degrees, their job experience is so great, but they just have a lot of doubts. Um, in this life, we'll have many people tell us, no, don't like yourself, we don't want to tell mm -hmm. you no. Mm -hmm. So apply, even if you don't think you meet 100% criteria, you don't have to. Just go for it. Yeah. I want a poster of you to give to like 13-year-old me back in the day um, because it is true. And and people and women do doubt. And I I hope that people are listening right now and that 13-year-old somebody else's mm. life and world is going to change. But, but I think this is also something like we we know about as, as a society that uh, female founders sometimes don't, don't uh, – tell themselves that they're ready for capital mm. and they overbuild their business compared to their their male uh, co-found uh, counterparts, I guess I should say. And uh, as a result, that access to capital isn't always there because there, there's that self barrier that's been put down. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you're not out there raising money and, and getting your ideas, uh, you know, out there ahead of, of your competitors, you're not going to be as armed when it's time to go into the market to have yeah. the right product. And so I, I think um, part of, of bridging those connections is making sure the uh, female founders and, and female investors are talking often and early yeah. so that the, you know, when it's the right time to make the investment, that connection happens and, and, and the founders aren't showing up too late. Almost, That's right. If that makes sense. You know, what's actually really cool. Yeah. We always talk about diverse team. Yeah. So I think we even for the solo female founders out there, maybe look for a male um, co-founder. Mm. And for the male co-founder, look for a female perspective to be mm. on your founding team. We actually like to see a diverse founding team, someone technical, someone general, mm. and just have different skills. And we actually recruit very diverse people to the board. Mm. So once we join, uh, we become investors, uh, we join the board. When they look for new board members, we look for that diversity in the board. So it's not a bad idea to be a mixed play. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. So um, we've talked about Houston. We've talked about what you see going on um, from an innovation ecosystem perspective. Mm -hmm. What are you most proud of? Like, what do you see that's going on in Houston that you oh, would man. want people to know mm -hmm. about? So definitely the people here. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, I, I mentioned how gritty we are as a city. Um, and we recently took office in the ION. And so every morning I go in there with my coworker and then we see the space just filled up with um, people working on startups and investors. So this place is filled with amazing people. And two, Laura, I came from China. I'm a transplant into Houston. So are so many people here. 
I can tell you a lot of the engineers at VP, they're from South America, from Europe, um, but people work really well together. And because we're all, a lot of us are immigrants, we're not from Houston, we are so welcoming at the same time. Um, can't say that about every single city, but I, I can say that for Houston. Um, when you are new to Houston, there are so many people just saying, hey, let me show you around. Um, and that's a really good way to attract innovation and keep innovation is by being a really welcoming city. Mm -hmm. I'm so proud of the people of Houston. And, and one of the things I think I was reading earlier this week was um, I think Forbes did a, a study and found that uh, more than half mo more than half of unicorn uh, startups are oh, founded by, yes. by by people who are not born here in the United mm -hmm. States. So market here, I'm calling it Grace is going to have the you know billion dollar unicorn <laughs> fund at some point. Um, but I think that there, <laughs> there's good you know uh, uh, data to say, look, you you have a, a group of, of founders and entrepreneurs and engineers um, in, in a city like Houston. It's an international city, and and the question is, how do we get more unicorns here? Right. Yeah. I mean that that's ultimately. Uh, our goal, uh, mm -hmm. I know, between uh, Laura and myself. So. I think we need a bunch more graces. Right? <laughs> true. Um, I also love that Houston is a city where you have like homegrown entrepreneurs who have been mm -hmm. in the energy industry for a really long time, who are living and breathing climate and coming up with solutions. But we are also attracting the best and brightest entrepreneurs who have their own climate challenges from other parts of the world mm -hmm. to come here because they recognize that Houston can help them be that like launch pad, that like a global liftoff into the United States, but everywhere. Yes. And that um, that's something that comes up like every single day, right? Is this idea and, and you have somebody who is from Midland and you have somebody mm -hmm. who is from Singapore mm -hmm. and you have them working together in the same place. And that is also not something that you necessarily see anywhere. And that's part of what makes Houston so magic. That's right. And we're exporting the knowledge we've gathered here as well. So having worked in Houston for 15 years, now I have really good knowledge that I can bring back to my birthplace. Mm -hmm. So we're promoting um, knowledge transfer on both fronts. Um, and then talk about Houston, you have to mention the food in Houston, right? Mm -hmm. It's so great. I, I can tell you, while, while I was an intern, one of the things that sold me on Houston, besides amazing cost of living, um, amazing job opportunities. It's really the food. Mm -hmm. the The Chinatown in Houston. It's it's a it's not just a town. It's like a whole street full of food. You keep on driving on Bel Air. You keep driving. It turns into Vietnamese town, and it's a whole new uh, set of cuisine. So I love that. Oh my gosh, yeah. I might go to Chinatown twice a month to get boba. <laughs> that might be my thing. So yes, Chinatown is awesome. <laughs> yep, fully agree. Uh, well, then on our list of things that you're going to tackle, we should add like an amazing Houston food scene composting. Mm. I feel like if we just worked with the restaurants in Houston, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we would have an incredible impact because our restaurateurs also care so much about the yes. community. They absolutely came out during COVID mm -hmm. to make sure that everybody who needed anything was covered. And that was amazing. And then clothing, because we also have a <laughs> mm -hmm. lot of clothes. And I feel like there's a way that we can we can build up that circular economy. Somewhere. Mm -hmm. So we really can. We're, we're all on the lookout for those startups to come here. Yes, for sure. <laughs> so, and uh, I just want to double click on the clothing, right? Like textiles, textiles today are mostly plastic, right, in many ways. And and I know that some of the biggest challenges we're thinking about is microplastic and mm -hmm. how, to, how to make it circular, how to make it more just not disposable, but degradable, right? So you can actually um, uh, lock it into, um, uh, lock it away. But also I, something I, I learned recently, plastic is a great place to store carbon mm -hmm. um, if you can then um, store the plastic correctly and effectively. 
And uh, I think Houston is is one of those towns, right, where the, we we make petrochemicals here. We do, right? Yeah. And and we we should. Uh, <laughs> Laura's smiling at me. We, we do. We, yes. We should. <laughs> we, we, we we are gonna. We need to lead on that circular economy when we think about um, how that you know textiles start and then and where they end up. Yep. So, so question: If you had a hundred million dollars hmm. that you could invest not in yourself not in your own venture <laughs> team not in bp what would you do to try to have the maximum climate impact okay so i'll divide a hundred dollars into four check sizes mm -hmm. um <laughs> i would put 30 million dollars into hydrogen mm -hmm. 30 million dollars into geothermal mm -hmm. 30 million dollars to build up the ev charging infrastructure for mm -hmm. houston and then i'm gonna save the last 10 for um the battery recycling technology okay that's okay. how I would do and, it. And would you focus on like R&D early stage or would you think about it as as venture investments? I think some of the technologies already exist. They just mm -hmm. need to be scaled up. Mm -hmm. So I, it doesn't need to be R&D at this stage. It mm -hmm. could just be venture investments. Okay. And what about deployment capital uh, or uh, project capital, I guess? The next round. Yeah, All the these round. Um, the <laughs> need a lot more. Yeah. So these could be the early like Series A funding mm -hmm. and then you, you're going to have to raise more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. always okay so specifically around hydrogen is that a area where you think we need more r&d and more technology do you feel like we're there i've heard very different takes on this question so hydrogen is actually really broad you have mm -hmm. hydrogen production hydrogen storage hydrogen transportation i think within the different subsectors the technology at different maturity stages mm. um you can't really bet on just one so I say being a VC investor, we'd mm -hmm. like to take many, many smaller bets. Um, definitely um, more R&D money. If people, who, if that's their fun focus, do that. Mm -hmm. And if there's more um, to scale up, do that too. But we just need a lot more capital to pour into that. Um, not a one size fit all answer. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, mm -hmm. gotcha. Uh, and, and battery recycling. So that one is fascinating. Like anything mm -hmm. with batteries right now is a very hot topic. Um, Different types of batteries are popping up, different uses for batteries, different reuses for batteries. Oh, oh. Sorry, go ahead. I was, no, no, no. was going to, I, I want to, what's the hard part of battery recycling? Because I, I know I have like my little box at home where I throw my NICAD batteries in. But that's not what you're <laughs> talking about, right? You're talking about lithium I'm talking about batteries lithium. from cars. What, so what, what are the big choke points you're seeing in that process? Um, so I really just been reading about the mm -hmm. crisis in battery management in China mm -hmm. um, because they are the early adopters, a lot more EV. So the volume they have to deal with is also great. Um, so it's to do with the safety of mm -hmm. handling these material and the logistics of moving the material to a central location. So it's um, you have scale to recycle them mm -hmm. and also what to do with um, the after you done with the recycling, what to do, what can you do with the material? So it's a whole value chain and it's building up the people are being creative right now and just um, taking it off one off and it's creating safety issues. Mm -hmm. um, if the car a battery is not good enough for car, but it can still be stacked yep. together for something else. But just worry about the safety, how to, how to minimize the fire. Um, yep. mm -hmm. There's a fire issue, just like, you know, there were, there's issues with um, the suitcases that have batteries mm -hmm. in them, right? Mm -hmm. You put them in cargo and you don't want to be on a plane when when things like that happen. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of really cool technology to, like, take batteries and put them together and make a, like, 
a mini power plant yeah. with the batteries that are not strong enough to still power a car but could do other mm-hmm. things. But then that has a whole realm of safety issues because now you've got a giant facility with a ton of batteries. That's right. All in one mm-hmm. place. And if anything yeah. happens to one of them, it could happen to all of them. That's right. But we are going to have a ton of batteries, right? So as investor, I'm very conscious to see the cycle mm-hmm. elsewhere and then see what problems could have five, 10 years down the road to make sure, oh, that's going to be a problem. Maybe we can co-invest, not just invest in batteries today, but think about the recycling, the whole, like you mentioned, the circular economy. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Okay. So you're going to you're gonna hedge your bets. You're going to put it in a lot of different buckets <laughs> and, and partially R&D, but partially deployment, right? Mm-hmm. Getting it to scale. Um, what about, so you said geothermal also, right? Is that something you're looking at right now or you just think it's cool? I think it's super cool. It's also one of our portfolio companies called Ever. Uh, mm-hmm. They're Canadian-based, and it's closed-loop loose, closed geothermal. So the beauty of that is uh, you don't need um, wet rocks. You just need hot rocks, and you can have um, geothermal everywhere because everywhere is um, hot rocks. But the challenge is how do you drill super deep into high temperatures and have the drilling technology to match that? Um, so that's something that people are working towards. But you can imagine it's very, very capital-intensive. So, um, so you said something a little jargony. What is a wet rock versus a dry rock? And I thought all rocks were dry. Um, so not engineers, so don't uh, <laughs> ask me really hard questions. But and what, from what I understand, traditional geothermal, you need um, steam and mm-hmm. water. So these will come out. But this technology, it's closed loop. Mm-hmm. So the water, you can pump water down there. It just circulates and never mm-hmm. have to leave. So okay. you just need hot rocks. Got you it. do not got need it, to it. have hot rocks with water with water okay got it <laughs> got it that's uh, my very basic explanation I, it was more than sufficient so, good mm-hmm. yeah ge- geothermal is one of these ones where the, there are a lot of technical approaches like closed loop open loop mm-hmm. you know the depth that you have to go to create um i guess it's a geothermal gradient where um it's 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 technical um and it's unclear to a layman like myself how how that matters other than it's is it cheaper or is it more expensive and um, and it's funny, I I have trouble keeping geothermal company uh, uh, di- differentiate between them because mm-hmm. I, I don't understand the language well enough. Um, but I appreciate you describing it. <laughs> oh, no problem. I think, you know, being investor, we really have the easy job. Okay. It's entrepreneurs who are out there actually doing the hard jobs. Uh, so for us, we just have to understand enough to be dangerous and bio mm-hmm. It's really the people out there day in, day out working on it that they're making the real difference. Mm-hmm. So. Geothermal is another one that's a really good example of when we think about the energy transition and mm-hmm. we think about the people who are involved in that along the way who are in the energy industry already, that there's a lot of skills and a lot mm-hmm. of skills sets mm-hmm. and that transition over. And you talked about how, figuring out how to drill really far and really deep and really yes. safely. And and when I was in high school, becoming a geologist or a petroleum <laughs> engineer were like, the big things that they taught us in high school here in Houston and like why you should do this. And so to all of those geology and rock nerds out there, like there's still a really cool place for you. You're mm-hmm. still in the energy industry, but you can help do all of these things cleaner and mm-hmm. um, make energy more available and affordable to a lot of different places, Absolutely. which is super exciting, especially to the next generation of kids who are really, really aware and want to do their part. Mm-hmm. So I know there's a lot of that's like always a key point when we talk about the energy transition is the people who think that they're going to feel left out. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to make an apples to apples comparison. But that one is pretty close, right? Like that's a Absolutely. good 
a good way people can wrap their heads around it if you know about wet and dry rocks. <laughs> That's probably not and a they, tight there are, for it. there are folks that do. So, yeah. you know. Oh, I love everything you just said, Laura. And that's beautiful. That's yeah. exactly right. All these people, if they, you love rocks, there's a place for you in the energy transition. Yeah. yeah. My sister loved rocks. She had a box of rocks that okay. she would like carry around with her. Geology mm-hmm. rocks. Yes. I, I had a box of rocks too, but I don't think <laughs> I love them that much. <laughs> But uh, I guess um, as we um, start to, I guess, wind down here, are, are there things that, that Houston, the city can do uh, uh, as a community to help you succeed in your mission um, as an investor? Um, yes. So <laughs> we, our office is in the ION Suite 288. I invite uh, the startups and co-investors to come stop by and talk to us. I think the power is when we get together, really talk it out. Like We love to hear business plans. We love to um, give you our feedback. Mm-hmm. So, and we love to meet qualified co-investors that can um, help us diversify our risk. Mm-hmm. Good. What What else would you want to talk about to folks who are listening? Anything we mm-hmm. didn't cover today? Anything you're like, hey, this cool thing just happened that I want to talk about? Let me see. Cool thing that just happened. Hmm. Not the summer heat that we just had. <laughs> <laughs> I think I um, asked everyone. Um, to really be mindful of your personal carbon consumption. Mm-hmm. If there are choices you can make as a person, especially for mothers, we make a mm. lot of household choices. Um, so those are choices that we can make for our family. Um, be conscious like our mode of transportation and mm. everything. Small things. If everyone's conscious of that, I think every dollar counts, um, every CO2 counts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love that you mentioned mothers. So there's a book out there. Uh, that's called like why women will save the planet mm. it talks about how half the planet is women right yep. how mothers manage the families and it kind of goes from there and there's like there's a different mindset of uh, resource management and one is like you're trying to go out there and raise money for the family and then mm-hmm. one is you're managing how you spend it mm-hmm. and so just like this is a gross generalization but like women have a different mindset about resource management yes and it takes us and it applies it to like, well, what if you had that same mentality towards energy systems and towards mm-hmm. communities and things like that? And then it spotlights on women leaders all around the world. Um, but it is a funny and interesting and, and accurate way to just think <laughs> about it at that level. Mm-hmm. But And it also, everyone has a part to play. And yeah. there are choices and sometimes they're hard and sometimes they're super easy. And so we're all trying to make more of them easy and less of them hard. Yeah. And... and- uh, so if, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, you already told us where to find you physically. How mm-hmm. else uh, sh- should they uh, learn more about what you're working on? Um, BP Ventures has a website. Uh-huh. Um, people can Google that yeah. and then read about our team, our investment thesis, uh, look at our portfolio companies. Um, and then we are all pretty active on LinkedIn. So folks can drop us a, an email to connect. Good. good. And, and, and they should reach out to you through email. Is that the best place to find you? I think LinkedIn is the LinkedIn. first place. Um, if uh, the message goes well, I usually provide my email address and then we can take it from there. <laughs> All right. Well, um, it was amazing having you here. Thank always you. excited. Every time <laughs> I see you, um, you always have fun stories to tell and you're always doing really new and exciting and meaningful things. So I'm excited to get to work with you and excited that you're here. Oh, thank you, Laura. That's thank good. you, Jason. Yeah. Thanks for having me.